Grand Rising, good morning. Vice.com. What does sex positivity look like today? We ask five sex experts. Carly Eortino, Eileen Kelly, Maya Lee, Carol Queen, and Harry Pitts discuss being pro-sex. 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 From their various corners in writing, advocacy, blogging, sex work, and sexology. By Sarah Burke. January 24, 2018, 1.38 p.m. <laughs> the sex positive feminist movement was started in the 1980s, particularly in response to the rise of anti-porn feminism. Since then, Americans have made major strides in the ways we talk about sex, but it's still a long way to go. It missed a cultural moment of public reckoning with sexual assault and many discussions of what sex shouldn't, should not look like, broadly wanted to know how we should be approaching sex. What does sex positive look like in 2021? To find out, we asked five people with expertise in sex, sex positivity, and feminism about sluttiness and sex activism today. The sex experts include Carly Schiartino, sex writer and host of Viceland's new show exploring the world of sex, slut ever writer and sex ed advocate Eileen Kelly, adult performer, president of the adult performer advocacy committee Maya Lee, author, pleasure activist, a good five staff sexologist Carol Queen, and blogger, filmmaker Eric Fitz. Pause, pause, pause. I consider myself to be a future sex entrepreneur. I consider myself to be a pleasure activist. I consider myself to be a sex activist. And I'm going to be a future sex expert. Yes, I am. And I am thinking about potentially being a sexologist, sex coach, sex therapist. And I think sluttiness is fantastic. I'm the male version of that. How does your work, your creative practice, scholarship, activism, etc., push for a more dynamic understanding of the ways we think about sex? Carly Schiartino. The goal of my writing has always been to support the idea of female sexual agency to humanize people and desires that are often thought of as weird, gross, taboo, negative, etc., but in a way that doesn't feel like you're being beaten over the head with it or that isn't too prescriptive. When I was growing up with a really conservative family in a small town with no sex ed, the only education I had about sex was from porn and Cosmo, which are essentially secretly rooted around what women should do to make sex better for their boyfriends. So what I hope that my writing and slut ever on Viceland do is just remind people that sex can be very fun, light, exploratory, awkward, weird, and kinky. And that it doesn't always have to be this thing that's scary or performative or that you feel like you're going to fail at. Or you're going to fuck up at. Eileen Kelly, I started the website Killer and a Sweet Thing with the intention of creating a space online where teens could come and learn about sex openly. I worked vigilantly to question ultimately clear the taboo around human sexuality. The site publishes the work of over a dozen college-age writers from across the country that share their own personal sexual experiences in a peer-to-peer form. This allows for a magnitude of diversity even among one topic. It really goes to show how across the board sexuality is. It differs from person to person, culture to culture. It also shows how inherently natural sex is. After all, it's how we got here, isn't it? Maya Lee. Being an adult film has been a monumental educational experience for me. This industry and the sex workers in this industry have broadened my language understanding about sexuality. By being a sex worker in a regular industry with constantly 
developing protocol, I'm continually parsing how identity, media, representation, sex, and culture interact. Being a sex worker was the catalyst of my growth as an intersectional feminist. My politics are driven by my insight into the marginalized people who make up this industry. Although our marginalization may be compounded and exacerbated by other aspects of our lives and identities, the sex worker identity carries stigma. It's stigma that is relative, it's stigma that is related to sex negativity, rape culture, misogyny, and systemic oppression. By combating that stigma in my work as an advocate and a sexual educator, I hope to see transformative change in my lifetime. To see sex work decriminalized, a comprehensive trauma-informed and pleasure-centered sex education would be a dream. Carol Queen, I seek to represent and understand sexuality in as diverse as way as possible, not just overlaying diversity awareness, but, but thinking of the sexual spectrum as itself a form of diversity. We must also think of race slash culture slash gender slash etc. diversity as a lens as well. If you don't do this, you can't really grasp sexuality. Too many people have a really narrow understanding of what's okay, desirable, normal, and quotations or even possible. Related to that, but a little different. I don't try to simplify, I try to complexify. I'm a postmodernist that way. I believe in looking at all the facets of the jewel I possibly can. When I do my talk, seven billion sexual orientations, this is what I'm getting at. There's so many elements to consider about sex slash gender identity and response that likely each of us is distinct in some way. Whereas the way the larger culture tends to think is in terms of norms, being normal and quote unquote, and a limited range of identity within which groups of people are mostly like, mostly alike. This is seriously not my primary experience with sexuality and interesting intersectionalism. Very fits. Most people know me for my work on gender, identity, and how all of it relates to fashion. Randomly, I started to also post videos about my love slash sex life as a queer black masculine of center non-monogamous woman on YouTube. Again, randomly, I started to also post videos about my love slash sex life as a queer black masculine of center non-monogamous woman on YouTube. There are very few people who talk openly, honestly about sex on YouTube, and even fewer who look and love like me. That's probably why the response to my videos was continues to be overwhelming. Giving all of this the biggest way my work these videos push for a more dynamic understanding of sex is through their ex existence in the first place. Representation is everything. You won't know that a woman like me can love the way that I do and fuck the way I do. And you too can love and fuck like me without me first sharing these stories. What do we have to gain from being more open about topics like intimacy, porn, fetishes, sex work, and sluttiness? ER Tenna. I think we have a ton to gain because options are always good, right? We have as much to gain by exploring sex and sluttiness and kink as we do from exploring any other aspects of our non-sexual lives, like culture, film, books, or a new job. I think new experiences and new people often enrich our lives and make us more complex, curious, empathetic people. I also think it's really crazy that in every aspect of our lives, like our careers, our hobbies, athletics, etc., we're told to take risks and try new things. People are always saying failure will make you a stronger, better person, but with sex, it's stay in your lane because if you end up in a scary situation, you could be traumatized and you might not recover from that. I think that's a little too crazy and we will all benefit from just being more open-minded and more willing to try things like aspects of kink or more progressive sexual experiences like a sex party or casual sex. And then the worst that happens is you find out you don't like it, you have a sexual experience that's not great and you're like, okay, I learned from that and I know not to do that again. I'll try something, I'll try something else. Now, with education comes understanding and ultimately breaking down the barriers, ignorance and shame. People don't naturally hate. They hate things they don't understand. However, if we can humanize actions, we can give examples that pertain to real people. Well, how can you hate on that? You may not agree with it, and that's fine. I believe in exposure. 
and we are open to topics on the sexuality or gender umbrella, having greater understanding for those who are different than us and more acceptance overall. Lee, by being more open, we create space to have necessary discussions about consent, boundary setting, sexuality, bodily autonomy, because the taboo often degrades silences and challenges basic open communication to have healthy, necessary conversations about pleasure, desire, and need. We need to feel connected, intimate, desire, slash desire to exist differently for every individual. By normalizing conversations about the titillating stuff, hopefully we can normalize conversations about the more challenging issues like sexual coercion, assault, trauma, violence, etc. Queen, we gain a fuller understanding of sexual variation and the different paths that sexual impulse can lead. When people think some things are normal and some not, they can, be, they can become caught up in shame or blame their partner for being a pervert because of what they desire. Neither response brings us one iota, iota closer to health and happiness as far as sex is concerned. Understanding fetish desire helps situate sex in the brain, which is really where it lives in the first place. It shows us to what degree almost anything can be imbued with sexual possibility, at least for someone. And sex work is the place where our society's actual diversity lives, often in secret being respected and understood. We would learn so much more about what people want, need, value, and never pay for. Any cultural societal shift where women feel more comfortable claiming agency over their own bodies and sexuality, they move towards a more sex positive culture. Fits. Better sex, I joke, but there's honesty in that. No? When we hide our sex narratives, sex narratives that most adults have, by the way, we tell the world that sex is wrong, bad, etc. How weird is that when we're all fucking? Why should we continue to make all of us feel really bad for doing something that's so normal, feels so damn good? So yeah, we gain better sex from more communication around sex, but we also gain better methods of communicating with our partners overall. More honest conversations can help aid those who struggle with sex-related trauma, less sexual violence due to conversations, reducing sexual stigmas, less bullying, the list goes on. Honest conversations about sex help all of this. Because of the hashtag MeToo movement, because of the MeToo movement, we're currently experiencing a huge public conversation about consent. That's mostly being focused on gender dynamics and legal definitions of sexual assault. How do you think that conversation relates to the sex positive movement? I think at the core, Me Too is about women claiming autonomy and authority over their own bodies and their own sexuality. So I think that Me Too and sex positivity are definitely related. Obviously, Me Too is specifically about a global reckoning and women calling out men for sexual misconduct. But at the heart of it, what that movement aims to do is allow young women to grow up in a world where they have control over their own bodies and their own decisions. Where they can say anything, um, telling their boss you can't treat me like that in the office to in a consensual sexual situation, be able to say, I like this and that, this is what makes me calm, C-U-M. Just being able to speak up and say what you won't tolerate and also what you want. Women are so conditioned to be silent and not to make a scene and to be polite, and also just to not make the situation awkward. I think that leads to women being taken advantage of sexually in the workplace. And I think it also leads to women not reaching their sexual potentials and not having the most pleasurable, positive, a sex life we possibly can because we feel like we can't be like, oh, that thing you're doing with your hand actually feels like shit. My clit is over here. So I think that in any, I think that any cultural societal shift where women feel more comfortable claiming agency over their own bodies and their own sexuality, and they move towards a more sex positive culture. Kelly, my definition of sex positivity is believing that everyone should be able to consensually explore their sexual identity, including all sexual orientation, sexual behaviors, gender identities, relationship styles, and sexual preferences without coercion. Right there in the definitions, consent comes up. I think the issue of assault not respecting someone's consent or lack of consent is directly related to the sex positive movement. Sex positivity does not mean you believe in sleeping with whoever you want, whenever you want. Of course, that that of course that can be a part of it. But it's what I stated above. If all people are educated on and practice sex positivity, they believe that assault will dissipate. Sleep. Sex positivity 
isn't just about the celebration of bodies, pleasure, and intimacy, but also about being able to speak honestly, frankly, and clearly about consent, gender dynamics, sexual coercion, assault, and violence. As a sexual violence and domestic violence survivor, it is imperative to speak openly about the intersection of violence and sex. To reduce sex positivity to just the positive is harmful because it creates this huge blind spot to very real experiences, people, and necessary change. We've already seen how silence perpetuates violence. If we are to promote healing, growth, and thriving after sexual violence, we need to talk about the nuances of sexual violence. To move forward, we need to see more models of accountability from perpetrators. We need to see people listen to victims. Sex positivity includes unlearning the scripts of rape culture, misogyny, victim blaming, and slut shaming. Queen. It's key because we can't have any real functional sex positive culture without consent as a paramount element. Sex isn't positive when people are forced or coerced. And sex can more easily be weaponized in all the ways we've seen come out this year in a sex negative context where shame is the result of being addressed on in these ways. And we don't have enough information about how to move forward if we don't clearly know what the problems are. Hashtag Me Too movement seeks to illustrate that. I remember what a revelation it, I remember what a revelation it was to me to find out that my mother was a survivor of sexual abuse. It put what I had learned from her into a new and illuminating context. Now multiply her experience by millions. Our society, all societies, are shot through with non-consensual acts and experiences, mostly but not exclusively aimed at women. This is one reason, but not the only one, why the default belief about sex is that it's a problem or a danger. For 30 years, I hope that sex-positive activism would make it more even and safe playing field with the proper understanding of sex positivity is woohoo, sex. Simple, not complex. Failing to understand that for sex to be a positive experience for everyone, we have to tackle shame, shaming, the lack of good education and supportive health and other services our control of our bodies and decisions, our social justice issues that are affecting the ways we culturally fail people around sex. Around sex. Um, Fitz, I'm really happy we're talking about consent. We have a long way to go. Like, bro, we're not even close, but I'm happy to keep part of the conversation. In a, in a partner, what approach to sex can be in a partner what approach to sex can be philosophical or physical do you find most desirable? Schiartino. What I really like is when sexual partners are playful and exploratory, and specifically not squeamish, which I think is a primary sort of subgenre of a playful sexual person. In my experience, is there are two kinds of people. There's the sort of person who only wants to go down on you after you shower, and there's the kind of person who will lick your ass when you come back from the gym. I feel like the second type of person is so much more fun and exploratory and allows me specifically to be really playful and relaxed and exploratory too. If I'm worried that someone thinks I smell weird and getting a little bit of squeamish about sex or the way my pussy smells or anal sex or whatever it is, then I'm just going to feel so self-conscious that I'll never be able to enjoy myself or come. So you want a person who's sexually resilient someone who can end up in a sexual situation that's sort of awkward or weird or not great and then laugh it off and be like let's try something else kelly openness to learn no one comes to having sex or any sexual relations knowing everything there's a learning process learning about yourself as well as partners it is absolutely necessary for my partner to be of this mindset. There's nothing attractive about being with someone who thinks they know it all. I'm also a firm believer in the idea that our bodies are natural and beautiful. I prefer partners whose views of the human body align with this way of thinking. Any bodily fluids, secretions, illness, ailments are natural and are nothing to be grossed out and are nothing to be grossed out over. 
I think with the large misunderstanding that we have over bodies and sex comes shame. If we can tackle that head on, we can tackle, then we tackle this issue. Lee, here's a short list of what I find extremely desirable. Intersectional feminist that is not performative, lifelong learner, accountability, self-aware of strengths slash weaknesses slash blind spots, creative and exploratory, communicative, considerate of emotional labor, outdoorsy. This list definitely makes dating difficult because I tend to not shy away from asking about people's feminism on dating apps. Queen. Ooh, I think the philosophical help shape the physical. That most desired people really respect and are fascinated by sex. That's not the same as being driven by it and wanting to have a lot of it necessarily. I'd rather be with someone who is open to the sexual energy going lots of different ways because that means the definition of sex isn't limited or circumscribed. Tits, what a dub question. I'd say this thing that turns me on the most is listening. In a sexual relationship, I want to hear my partner. I want them to hear me. Before, after, during. Before, after, during. B-A-D. It's the only way to make it even better. Oh, and um, playing with my neck. Some answers were edited for length and clarity. Wow, they spoke all of my thoughts. I tend to pick articles where they are so perfect at describing how I think. I say that a lot of times, especially recently, they're saying all of my thoughts. They're saying all the ways that I live my life, too, so. Ten sex positive influencers to follow for frank conversations from Emily's perspective, Emily Torres Culture, right? The GoodTrade.com. Sex positive people we admire for education and inspiration. As our relationship with social media evolves, we find ourselves using tools like Instagram as more than just visual inspiration. We're using it to learn more about ourselves and the world around us. We see this showing up as we embrace our sexuality in all aspects of our lives, including our sexuality. Our sexuality is one of the most personal, intimate details of our lives, and often it does not get the celebration that it deserves. Whether it's from external pressures or internal resistance, we're not always given our sexuality the nurturing education and support that it deserves. As we dove into the world of sex-positive influences, we realize how different this looks for each and every person, and how essential it is to be inclusive and intersectional when having conversations surrounding sex, sexuality, and body positivity. We love that these people are doing the work and creating a dialogue around sex to reduce the shame and stigma surrounding it and to uplift and empower people everywhere to connect with their bodies and their partners in new ways. These accounts are run by sex educators, authors, certified therapists, sexuality doulas, and people working in the adult film industry and it's only barely scratching the surface of the important work of bringing awareness to these conversations. Don't see his favorite sex positive Instagrammer on this list? Ask them in the comments below. One. Evian Whitney. Evian Whitney is a sexuality doula who helps women and femme identifying people celebrate their sexuality, liberate themselves from sexual shame. Her podcast, Sex Liberated Woman, her blog, Sex Love Liberation, are amazing resources for people looking to reclaim their sensuality and sexuality. Plus, she offers one on one coaching for those looking to dive deep into their own liberation. She's also the founder of the Hashtag Central Selfie Challenge and creator of an online course and guidebook called Sexting Myself. Both, cha- both challenges that you self-portrait to as a tool for radical self-love and reclamation. Follow Evian on Instagram. I-V-Y-A-N dot Two, Hannah Witton. Hannah Witton. W-I-T-T-O-N. Witton. Hannah H-A-N-N-A-H. Anna Glinton is a multimedia maven who's inspiring us to live our best lives, learn more about our sexuality and our bodies. We love her YouTube channel where she covers topics like sex toys, hormones, sex ed resources, and even her first-hand experience, thoughts, and tips on living with a stomach. She also co-hosts a podcast called Banging Book Club where she and her fellow hosts read a book about gender and slash her sex each month and chat about it. We admire her candid conversation about sex and advocacy for those living with chronic illness and invisible disabilities. Follow Hannah on Instagram. Three, Shan Budram. Shan Budram is a best-selling author, YouTube star, frequent TV show host, and guest. 
These local advocate for sex positivity conversations that we love to follow. Seeing the need for proper sex education online throughout the U.S., Shan is dedicated to providing truthful, clinical information to our audience through a positive, empowering, and youthful lens. Her vibrant YouTube channel is also informative and answers questions about sexual health. Posts open conversations about casual sex and long-term relationships, offers tips on dating and getting over insecurities that might be holding you back. Follow Shan on Instagram, Shan Booty, B-O-O-D-Y, S-A-H-A. For Carlos Giordano, Carlos Giordano is the founder of the website Slut Ever, host of the Viceland Show, and author of a book by the same name, and the writer of Vogue's column on sex and dating advice, Breathless, is their sex and dating advice column for her writing on Vogue. She's on a mission to reclaim the word slut and empower us to embrace pleasure without shame. Carly openly discussed the things like BDSM, sex work, sex parties, the power of sexual agency, and more. If you're looking for an entertaining, educational, supportive resource for pro-sex feminism, Carly's the one to follow. By the way, I'm a pro-sex feminist, pro-porn feminist, pro-sex work feminist, pro-sex parties feminist, pro-the power of sexual agency feminist, pro-reclaiming the word slut feminist, pro-BDSM feminist, pro-kink and pro-kink feminist, pro-kinky feminist, yeah, that's me. That is all me. I just had to say uh, follow Carly on Instagram. K-A-R-L-E-Y S-C-I-O-R-T-I-N-O Follow Carly on Instagram. Bye, Grateful Savage. Grateful Savage is a certified sex therapist and sex coach who is challenging the ways that women are able to exist in society and giving us permission to exist exactly as we wish. With six seasons of her podcast, Savage Life, available online, she goes there when discussing sex and social stigmas that others might brush under the rug. Her humorous and accessible approach to reducing shame around sexuality is refreshing and makes her an inspiring and motivating fellow. She also follows in-person therapy and online coaching services as well as speaking on topics such as consent, ethical non-monogamy, fetishes, and female orgasms. I practice ethical non-monogamy in my own personal life. How about that? And I'm a bit, and I need consent and I have my fetishes and female orgasms are phenomenal to me. So, Rachel Savage, R-A-Q-U-E-L Savage, S-A-V-A-G-E, follow her on Instagram. Six, Reed Amber, Reed Amber, R-E-E-D, Reed Amber believes that being open about sex and sexuality will help reduce the anxiety around it. Why should anyone have to feel uncomfortable about something that everyone in the world has questions about? Alongside her co-host, Florence, alongside her co-host, Florence, Reed answers common sex questions on the YouTube channel. Come curious. C-O-N-E, curious. Follow her for sex and body positivity, conversations about gender and sexuality, and honest discussions about mental health. Bonus follow. They also got an Instagram account called Come Curious if you prefer Insta over YouTube. Follow Reed on Instagram. Seven, Erica Hart. Erica Hart is a sex educator and writer with a master's of education human sexuality. And she's been teaching children and adults in the New York area about sexuality for over 10 years. As a breast cancer survivor, she's an advocate for equality and systemic shame for the chronically ill, especially those in marginalized communities. Erica's work highlights the connection between sexual expression and health, also helps with essential conversations about the intersections of race, gender, chronic illness, and disability within the sex positivity space. E-R-I-C-K-A Heart. Follow Erica on Instagram. Eight, Shelby Sales. Shelby Sales is a celebrity sex therapist sexology creating a sex-positive community through her posts on social media and interviews on her blog. 
are open, informative, and positive dialogue around sex is focused, making people feel happier in their intimate lives and more comfortable with sex and pornography, inducing the shame and stigma surrounding it all. Follow her for her artistic and colorful photography, her examinations of modern social approaches to sex and sexuality, and educational events and workshops in the New York area. Eight, Shelby Sales, right? Follow her on Instagram. S-E-L-L-S, Shelby Sales. Nine, Pink Bits. Pink Bits is our go-to for inspiring, inclusive, and honest depictions of what it's really like to be a woman by illustrating the bits and shapes we are told to hide. Pink Bits. P-I-N-K-B-I-T-S. Celebrating body hair, stretch marks, scars, and all body types is a refreshing way to celebrate feminine energy in all its forms. Instead of trying to fit in with rigid societal standards, the Pink Bits illustrations are beautiful and graceful just as they are. Follow along for a regular reminder to love yourself and support others around you on their journey towards self-love and acceptance. And don't forget to support Pink Bits by heading to her shop for stickers, pins, postcards, and prints. Follow Pink Bits on Instagram. 10. Blood and Milk. Blood and Milk is a community for the awakening woman by the organic period products company, Cora. Follow along for their inspiring imagery, supportive feminist community, and topics all about sexual and reproductive health. The Blood and Milk website is a treasure trove of information about important, often taboo issues such as menstruation, body image, sex, birth control, and abortion, fertility, and menopause. We love this educational space to truly be curious about our bodies, learn more about our health and our power. Emily Torres is the editor at The Good Trade and the writer behind Ennery, a blog dedicated to intentional colorful living. She's a Los Angeles transplant who was born and raised in Indiana, where she studied creative writing and business at Indiana University. You can usually find her reading or writing, caring for her two rabbits, or practicing at the hot yoga studio. I'm going to start following these people. In fact, I'm going to follow them after I get off this episode. After this episode, I'm following all of them because I have Instagram. So I'm going to do one more. Let me start eating my breakfast because I'm sure not getting hungry. So... I'm going to do part three. We'll end part three tomorrow. That'll be the final one. I thought it was today, but it was longer. That episode was longer than I thought it was going to be, which is okay. Let's talk of This is the last one, right? Hot Union Summer comes to the point industry as OnlyFans threatens to end sex work. Industry's new union takes in the stage by, by Amelia Pollard of the story 3021 prospect.org. Um, there we go. Demonstrators called for sex workers to unite during a May Day rally in front of 40 Wall Street, Trump-owned property, May 1st, 2019 in New York. In the 1980s, when feature films dominated porn and the internet was still a long way from taking over the industry, porn stars tried to unionize. It was the era of sex icons like Amber Lynn and the group of adult performers already had a name in mind for their union, Pink Ladies. The lack of organization caused the union effort to languish, but for decades later, as the pandemic upended working conditions nationwide, the porn industry was ripe for another try, and this time it succeeded. In May, a group of adult performers, which includes porn actors, webcam performers, strippers, and models and OnlyFans, drafted union bylaws and received word from the Department of Labor that the Adult Performance Artists' Guide, APAG, was officially a federally recognized union. For the performance, it was nothing short of a triumph. APAG currently has around 1,100 registered sex offenders signed on to the union. Due to the pandemic, the group has temporarily waived dues for its members. Yet even when the union does require dues, Elena Evans, the union's presence, says they will always remain extremely low because the performance is all too common financial constraints. Since 2016, APAG had been a chapter of the International Entertainment Adult Union, but decided to officially separate after disputes of the organization's direction. More familiar power. Okay. Sex industry work has changed dramatically since the 1980s. For one, the internet turned the industry inside out. With high quality phone cameras and at home computers, anyone could upload pornography. 
The internet revolution also led the porn industry to extreme economic consolidation. 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 Okay. One Canadian parent company, MindGeek, controls the vast majority of production and distribution, including the most popular site in the United States, Pornhub. The consolidation meant huge profits for its executives. Meanwhile, going up against such behemoths, performers lost negotiating power. More recently, sites like OnlyFans brought the industry yet again. The online site where users subscribe to gain access to photos and videos through slash to Instagram allows performers to act as their own producers, agents, and directors. The platform also revolutionized the industry financially, giving performers 80% commission on their earnings, a figure substantially higher than online performance had ever earned before. As Jacob Bernstein argued in the New York Times in 2019, the site has changed sex work forever. Again, in May, a group of adult performers received word from the Department of Labor that the APAG is officially a, feder- a federally recognized union. Jennifer Al Bay, who is better known as Ruby in the industry and is now the union's vice president, puts it more bluntly, porn has become America's side hustle. In her view, stagnant wages directly contributed to a spike in amateur porn production. Couples realized that they could monetize their private life, she told me over the phone. Last week, however, OnlyFans announced that it would begin blocking sexually explicit content starting in October, citing pressure from investors. Oh, by the way, OnlyFans that I said in previous episodes reversed the ban. They're not doing the ban anymore for the time being. As the adult film industry looks ahead to another seismic change, APAG hopes to usher workers through relatively un... APAG hopes to usher workers through relatively unscathed. Union leaders have already begun directing content creators to other platforms. According to Al Bay, APAG is in constant negotiations with companies such as MindGeek, knowing fans to win higher pay, safe working conditions, and more benefits for performers. Given the diffuse industry, the union has focused on separating bargaining agreements with various platforms and production companies. But it could also opt to follow the model pioneered by the National Domestic Workers Alliance, which has won state-level bills of rights for its workers that mandate regular rest breaks and restrictions on overtime, and is lobbying for national legislation as well. As the adult performance industry splintered in dozens of different directions, long-time workers in the industry thought it was finally time to formalize their rights. Over the past several months, a time that has been dubbed both Hot Girl Summer and Hot Noon Summer, adult performance has become nearly a spark club. Al Bay argues adult performers are everywhere, including in her small Ohio town. Oh, in her small Ohio hometown. The mother of two little children probably calls herself a PTA mom. Having worked in every facet of the industry, Albeo says she wants to ensure a thriving, healthy industry for its workers because of how new platforms and technology change the way that the workers can be seen. I want the, I want the adult industry to reflect healthy, she said. Sexuality can be wholesome, believe it or not. The only time it gets unwholesome is when people make it this way. Again, I want the adult industry to reflect healthiness, she said. Sexuality can be wholesome, believe it or not. The only time it gets unwholesome is when people make it this way. Here we go. Stunning revelation. Performers routinely have difficulty opening bank accounts and renting or buying homes. Crusades against sex industry work, however, are nothing new. The United States has a historically fought relationship with women who monetize sex, supporting the industry under special, usually wartime conditions, and both shunning and scorning its both shunning and scorning its work as at other times. During World War II, the U.S. military temporarily viewed prostitution as a great morale booster for tens if not hundreds of thousands of soldiers en route to Europe or the Pacific. As federal officials turned a blind eye to brothels, native Hawaiian women profit from the newfound job opportunities. In some cases, the women earned 20 times more than the average woman in the territory at the time. Soon, the women were earning enough to move into the most rarefied neighborhood in Honolulu, the upscale shores of Waikiki. That's when the U.S. government cracked down. Local officials couldn't allow sex workers to buy their trade, at least physically in the midst of the Grande Bourgeoisie. Let me make sure I'm saying this word right. It's going to bother me if I don't say this word right. 
so I'm gonna go to Google so I don't have to unnecessarily sound ignorant. Trying to uh, pronunciation, I think it's grande. Hold on, you're gonna hear something funny. Okay, so the right way <laughs> to say, I, I, I gotta find an article again, silly, silly me being, I'm having fun as you can tell, where was I, come back Antonio, Antonio, come on, back now. I'm back. Uh, Grande bourgeoisie. Okay, let me read that again. So the women were earning enough to move into the most rarefied neighborhood of Honolulu, the upscale shores of Waikiki. That's when the U.S. government cracked down. Local officials couldn't allow sex work to supply their trade, at least physically in the midst of the Grande bourgeoisie. Today, adult performers face similar discrimination when it comes to their finances. In June, the American Civil Liberties Union joined 22 other civil rights organizations to demand that PayPal and Venmo allow sex workers to get paid through their apps. Using financial intermediaries such as PayPal or subsidiary Venmo can make or break one's ability to work or survive in an increasingly virtual society. Layla Holston Zeno, a trans justice campaign manager for ACLE, wrote in a report, in spite of this, platforms like PayPal and Venmo the things with boot sex workers and other users off their platforms with little due process. Evans, the president of the newly formed adult performance union, says these financial services only scratch the surface of the discrimination sex industry workers face. Performers routinely have difficulty opening bank accounts and renting or buying homes. On our podcast, model former and porn star Lana Rhodes says that she was subject to intense questioning when buying her current home in Los Angeles. And, she was, and she's one of the most successful porn actors of all time, with some sources reporting she's worth over $20 million. Like workers in other industries, adult performers have ceased pandemic of people to negotiate better working conditions and higher pay. Although Pornhub has constructed a friendly public image for itself, even supplying Boston with snowplows like snowplows during a blizzard, the same reservoir of goodwill has not translated to how many Americans treat adult performers. One of APAG's first demands when the union's first national campaigns is to add occupation to the lit and they put occupation quotations, but I, you know, I shouldn't mind. Let's just say occupations without the quotations. To the list of identities in the Civil Rights Act, and employers and companies cannot discriminate against. Evans told me the industry representatives have already met with staffers for, Sen- for Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts, and Representative Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, AOC, Democrat from New York, on this issue. Such outreach, notwithstanding, sex industry workers are understandably skeptical when it comes to government regulation of the industry. It's never clear how the next administration will legislate, and when policymakers have drafted, have drafted legislation, often misses the mark sometimes by a lot. Like workers in other industries, adult performers have ceased, has ceased the pandemic of people to negotiate better working conditions and higher pay once again. In recent years, for instance, a few nonprofits have emerged as major crusaders against sex trafficking quotations. But porn actors and other adult performers say that often such groups' activism spills into opposing all sex industry work. One such organization is Exodus Cry, which received a publicity bump from Nicholas Kristoff, the exposed of the prevalence of child pornography in Pornhub. The piece had a spine chilling headline The Children of Pornhub. Kristoff's article took up the entire front page of the New York Times Sunday Review section last December. Although the problems detailed in Kristoff's piece are horrifying and warrant reform, all performers tell me that the aftershock of the op-ed didn't address the root of the problem, that it prompted proposals for haphazard national legislation that punished the workers, not the multi-billion dollar company at fault, MindGeek. APAG's founders say they're committed to promoting consensual sex only. One of the union's flagship projects is in quotations, on-set stewards program. 
which former industry workers apply to be present on film production sets where they look out for the performance's safety and best interest. The union also drafted a performer consent checklist, which workers can download online and use on sets. With the checklist, porn workers can indicate exactly what they're willing to do in front of a camera. And even before COVID, unions organizers were focused on negotiating health insurance for adult performers. Eva says that President Biden's program, which increased insurance subsidies under the Affordable Care Act, enabled hundreds of workers to become insured. Can the fledgling union transform the industry? With the advent of OnlyFans, Al Bay, the union's vice president, estimates that there are around 4 million adult performers in the United States. That's all. They're also saying those are the 4 million sex workers in the United States, too. She says that uniting these workers could transform adult films, securing this sort of healthy and thriving, in quotations, industry for which she's always hoped. Wow. Okay. I'm going to make this simple and plain with my statements, right? So let's talk about how I feel. How I feel. I gotta gotta share this again. Okay. I am for full decriminalization. Right? of sex work. I am for a full decriminalization of sex work. Let's start with that. Decriminalization is most supported solution by sex workers themselves, including me. Decriminalization is the only legal solution that offers no criminalization of any party involved in the sex work industry. Additionally, it has no restrictions on who can legally participate in sex work. Those are my thoughts. Decriminalization of sex work would not remove any legal penalties in condemning human trafficking. Those are my thoughts. There is no reliable evidence to suggest that decriminalization of sex work would occur to human trafficking. Those are my thoughts. New Zealand was the first country to decriminalize sex work in 2003 with the passage of the Prostitution Reform Act. I think that's awesome. This is the most advocated for by sex workers because it allows them the most negotiating power with their clients. I feel that way. With full protection under the law, they have the ability to determine their wages method of protection and protect themselves from violent offenders. I feel that way. Sex works one of the oldest professions in existence and even though sex work is criminalized in most places in order to regulate it, the profession has hardly changed all over time. I share that sentiment. Those who work in sex trade are more likely to be exploited, trafficked, and victims of assault when sex work is criminalized. In my view, that's proven to be true. Starting in August 2015, Amnesty International, a global movement for political, religious, or economic interests to protect people from abuse, introduced a policy that requested that all countries decriminalize sex work. Those are my thoughts. Amnesty International stated in this policy that criminalizing sex work would decrease human trafficking through promotion of the health and safety of sex workers by allowing them to be autonomous with protection of the government. This policy gained a large amount of support worldwide from the WHO, UNHG, AATW, and several others, but has not been adopted universally yet. It, um, those are all my thoughts, and it all and the policy should be adopted universally yet. So I am for the full decriminalization of sex work. I'm also for the legalization. Full, I'm also for the full legalization of sex work. Legalization. Is currently practicing parts of South America, Australia, Europe, and in certain countries in the United States, state of Nevada. The red light district in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, an example of full legalization where all aspects of sex work are allowed as long as they are registered with the government. Since the registration process is often expensive and time consuming, requires legal residents and may involve regular medical exams. Most marginalized sex workers have remained illegal and usually charged less because they can't comply with the regulations. This is most common among minority groups, immigrants, low-income workers. Okay, so let's, the legalization needs a lot of work. So it should not be badly time-consuming. It should not be expensive. Um, requiring legal residence, okay. But it should also be um, accommodating to marginalized sex workers and sex workers in general. And we should not be caught up in the whole devastating statement of who's illegal, who's legal. I think that is all inhumanity. And 
you know, we have to make sure that the legalization of sex work, the full one, is accommodating, inclusive, and belonging to minority groups, immigrants, and low-income workers, you know, and we usually charge less, okay, that's a part of the whole, let's not make this expensive, so here's my proposition for sex work and sex work empowerments. All the good parts of full legalization and all the good parts of full decriminalization merge them all together. Bam. To me, that is the best way to empower um, sex work and sex workers in the sex industry. So instead of fighting over decriminalized, legalized, put all the good parts of of full legalization and full decriminalization together take out all the bad parts of full legalization and full decriminalization, keep all the bad parts out, and keep all the good parts in. So let me say that again. All the good parts of full legalization and sex work, and all the good parts of full decriminalization and sex work, get them in, keep them in, and never let them out. That's number one. Lesson number two. All the bad parts of full legalization and all the bad parts of full decriminalization, when I say full legalization, full decriminalization, I'm talking about sex work in this case. All the bad parts of both. Get them out, keep them out, and never let them in. That's just how I, 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 I'm feeling. And, um... That's absolutely what I wanted to um, say. When I say sex work and sex workers, for the communication, that includes adult performers, porn performers. Um, I think it's cool that you have porn performers acting as their own agents, directors, and producers. I think that is awesome. Um, I like that they're being paid more, negotiated more. Um, I think PayPal, Venmo, and Amazon should have sex workers paid through their platforms. Um, I like the idea of uh, sex workers um, having their own um, agencies. And I love the consensual sex-only model. And what happened to Lena Rhodes is atrocious to me. You know, performers should not have to struggle with opening bank accounts and home renting and home buying. I think that is just all ridiculous. Um, yes, I I think health, safety, and labor rights of sex workers, including porn performers, adult performers should never be um, left out. Those are my thoughts. I'll share more in part three. Thank you very much.